you would start to get scarred, I think, in the races. Like you would do a race, it would just blow apart and go so ballistically fast at one point. And then the next year you'd do that race in 2012, same team would be like, oh, I remember this part like this is, yeah, this place is crazy. So they're kind of figuring out and learning the races, trying to learn as fast as possible. The first year was a massive learning curve. Welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. I'm Matthew Piaro, editor of the magazine and your host. You just heard from Ryan Anderson. He was describing what it was like for him when he got a taste of road cycling in Europe roughly nine years ago. Recently, Anderson announced his retirement from pro cycling. He's been at it since 2008. In that time, he might not have risen to the same heights as, say, his frequent teammate Svein Tuft or some of his contemporaries, such as David Veilleux or Hugo Uhl. But Anderson is the last of a certain generation of pro road cyclists. He's been on all the influential Canadian road outfits of the past 15 years, including Symmetrics, Spidertech, and Rally Cycling. Yeah, that's right. I called Rally a Canadian team. Technically, it's registered in Minneapolis, but there's always so many Canadians on that team, both on the racing side and on the management side, so many that I'll call it Canadian when it suits my purposes. Anderson got his start daydreaming his way through mountain bike races in his home province of Alberta. Then he moved to banging bars on the road. Later, he worked as hard as he could to get to Europe to race against the sport's best. He's seen a lot during the past 13 years. Teams and races have come and gone. As Anderson takes his leave from racing, he looks back at people and events that shaped him and that continue to shape road cycling today. Ryan Anderson, recently you announced that you would be retiring from professional cycling. That makes you the last rider from the influential Symmetrics team to depart from pro cycling. I'm glossing over the fact that Jeffka Bush was on Symmetrics, but from a road racing angle, you are the last rider from that influential Canadian team of the early 2000s who up until recently, was racing. Could you remind us why that team was so significant? For many reasons, it was a very significant team. And for me, it was it was the team that I wanted to get onto. So it was like, that was my goal. That was what I was chasing. It was pretty established at that time. And I came in in the last year of the team. But that was that was like the thing I chased. And, and then after, you know, making it there, you know, chasing the next goal. So it was a very big step in, in my career. Some of your teammates included Swain Tuft and Christian Meyer. Do you think that that team's influence has petered out since it folded in uh, 2008? I don't think it's petered out so much. Like, I think it's just, it's just changed. There was, you know, then I think for the younger riders like Hugo, then it was Spider Tech was, was kind of like his symmetrics, I would say. It's just changed a bit. But uh, yeah, the group of guys that was at symmetrics was special very special and and uh unique let's go to your pre-symmetrics days as a kid 
from Spruce Grove, Alberta. You're into mountain biking. How did you come to that sport? So mountain biking, I think it was probably a bit of luck. My parents just got me into biking. We did a trip to uh, BC when I was like nine. I was always like riding around and like, you know, a five speed on the local, like, you know, kind of like sidewalk, whatever the bike pass in Spruce Grove and kind of hitting the little dirt piles and things like that. But um, my first exposure to like mountain biking was in when I was nine. And then kind of like, it was pretty cool. I was like, I'd like to try this. And then the next year, age 10, I was racing mountain bikes. You know, we were doing all the Alberta cops and then it kind of progressed to doing um, some of the BC stuff and then Canada cops. And yeah, mountain biking was my thing all through till junior. How then did you make the switch to road or what what brought you from the dirt to the pavement? Uh, you know, I think at that time it was maybe there was just more because mountain biking has gone in waves too. I think cross country mountain biking has definitely gone in waves of, of teams and popularity maybe. Um, and at that time, road cycling was taking off in, in the United States with that was during Armstrong's big run. So I think that for a lot of reasons in mountain biking, the courses were really long at the time too. So I, I would get out there and I'd just be like smelling the daisies. I couldn't, I wasn't staying focused on the task at hand and I was trying road racing and I was in Alberta specifically, there was not that many big mountains or anything in the races that we were, I was doing. So I was always in the group and I had a, had a decent sprint. So I was always kind of competitive and always in the mix all day long, whereas mountain biking, I was either kind of in the front or if I wasn't I was just like I said I would be out there just daydreaming and um, so I think there was just that that whole thing kind of led me to more to like enjoying the road and I did um, the Abitibi with the Canadian national team my last year junior like mountain bike pedals I was there with uh, Eric Bully and David Vayu Mark Kinnan a bunch of good guys and and I think that I had a lot of fun in that race and that was I think probably one of the big switches too for me to to switch into pursuing road. Let's jump ahead to 2009. Symmetrics had folded the year before. You and two teammates Zach Bell and Jacob Erker landed on Kelly Benefits Strategies, the team that would eventually turn into your current outfit Rally Cycling. What was the team like back in 2009? It was different, but sort of the same as it is now. Um, the same sort of characters. Jonas would be the head performance manager of the team, and he was then, and he still is. And, and I think that he found people that worked well together, got along, similar personalities. So from that aspect, there's a lot of similar characters in the team that there is now versus then. Obviously different people, but um, I don't know. We did some similar things. Like the first year we used to go to this uh, winter park, Colorado for the winter training camp and, and the first get together. And my first year back into rally in 2018, we did the exact same camp and it was, it was similar to different faces, but then there was still like the owner of the team, Charles there. And I'm not sure if Jake made that trip, but Jonas was there. So there's a lot of similar people have worked in the organization over the years, but it was obviously a lot smaller than it was very, it was quite a small team then. And now it's grown to be uh it's, you know, it's, it's continuing to grow, but it's getting pretty big. Earlier, you mentioned SpiderTech. In 2011, you joined that other significant Canadian road team from the past 15 years. There's been Symmetrics and then SpiderTech. It meant you are now on a pro-continental team. How was that change for you to go from, say, a Division Three team to a Division Two team? You know, I, I was kind of figuring it all out as I went. And then that was naturally the next progression was like, well, okay, I need to go, need to go race in Europe. I need to try to do Europe. And, and Spider Tech came along and that opportunity came along. It was exciting. You know, we had lots of 
it was mostly Canadians, mostly guys that I'd grown up racing with or knew who they all were. And then Steve was, was running the show. Getting over in Europe was, was a pretty big shock. And I guess in that year also, so Swain came back. That was in the first year that I was there in 2011. So like so many familiar faces. Will and I were back there together. Um, and Will and I spent a lot of time together on uh, Symmetrics. That year we vagged on around to a few local races in the Pacific Northwest here. And so anyways, just going into, uh, yeah, next big phase of being in Europe. And that was my first time I'd spent that much time over there. I think kind of went over... January, maybe January, February, probably stayed till California, came back for a bit, then went back. So it was like, it was a big adjustment. And then on top of that, we were, we were getting nice races and it was obviously influenced by Steve. A lot of his success was in Belgium. So we started in Belgium, which I think is, it's a very difficult place to learn, but it's hard and it's good for you. It was funny. Like Steve would be, you know, <laughs> he was so good. It would just be like right in the front, you know? For Steve, I think that was easy. For me, it was not easy. <laughs> so, uh, a big adjustment, but it was lots of fun. That's true. Steve Bauer was the principal behind that team. And as you mentioned, he had success in Europe. He knew the, the lay of the land. Um, were you guys based out of Kortrecht, or did you actually have like a European base when you went there? Kind of a bit of a blur. We were a little overplaced, but the team really took care of us the first year. So, the first year, if you didn't have your own place to stay, the team had had a place for us to stay and and when we were we were near Carcassonne in the kind of south of France for a bit and then when we were in the Belgium we'd be up in Courtrick you know there was a few guys like Swain was already set up and I think it was maybe Banyolas at the time and Will was, went and did his own place in uh, Carcassonne area and so some guys did their own thing but I, I went through the staying with the team so I was kind of in that bubble together which made things way easier than if I had to just figure out my own apartment for the first time 2011 too you think about how much technology has changed and how much easier it is to be in Europe right now than it was even then versus when Steve was doing it it's it's crazy blows my mind what was it like getting into the European pelotons after you know having raced in North America and knowing the North American scene what was the 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 bunch like in Europe for you and also what were the the roads like for you you would start to get scarred, I think, in the races. Like you would do a race and you'd be like, it would just blow apart. It goes so ballistically fast at one point. And then the next year you'd do that race in 2012, same team. It'd be like, oh, I remember this part. Like this is, yeah, this place is crazy. So they're kind of figuring out um, and learning the races, trying to learn as fast as possible. The first year was a massive learning curve. And there was like same thing. Like you're out there with like these big riders that you kind of read about in the magazines or whatever it was. And I remember specifically too, there was one. And ended up being teammates with them later, but it was uh, Sylvain Chavanel was supporting Tom Boonen, and I think it might have been E3 or something, and he had a problem, and he came by me, like, just steamrolling by me, and I'm suffering, like, probably I'm dropped at this point, and he's just got Boonen on his wheel, and then later on in my career, I ended up being teammates with him, so it was just eye-opening to see some of these guys and how strong they were and everything, and, and trying to adapt and figure it all out, but it was, yeah, it was crazy. At the end of 2012, Spider Tech shut down. That's the second team you're on that dissolved. But was the end of Spider Tech uh, different than the end of Symmetrics? Yeah, I would say so because I was at Symmetrics. I was never really part of it as long. Like I was, I came in the last year. It was really cool. But I think, I guess that part was the writing was on the wall. We all knew all year long that that was going to be the last year like I was so young in my career I didn't know what else I was missing out on or what was going to happen I didn't really know the game at all 
when spider tech news came that was that was a lot harder because i already was planning on staying in the team going forward and it kind of happened pretty last minute and i'd started to be like well geez i really want to be racing in europe so that was um you know i kind of knew and had had new goals and what i wanted to try to continue to do in my career so that was definitely a way bigger shock than uh than what was symmetrics news in 2013 you were back on Kelly Benefit Strategies. It was now called Optum, presented by Kelly Benefit Strategies. To me, uh, that 2013 season seems like your best in terms of results. You had a win at BC Super Week and three other podium finishes there. You were second at Nationals. You finished just behind Peter Sagan at a stage at the USA Pro Challenge. And you were also top Canadian at the Tour of Alberta. Does that year stand out for you? Or is there another one that seems more significant? Uh, I would say that was a pretty big year for me in terms of that was when I really knew I still wanted to race and I wanted to race at a high level. So I think for me, I was really happy to be back and have a place to race in Optum, but it was, I wanted to be back racing in Europe. And um, I was obviously stronger from those two years of racing in Europe. And, but that was my focus. That was the only thing I had my mind on was trying to get back to racing in a nice big team in Europe. And, um, I didn't, you know, like nothing was going to kind of get in my focus in my way. I was, that's what I was focused on doing. That's what I wanted to do. I trained really hard. I was focused on everything that you could imagine to try to be, you know, like I think when you're trying to do all the little things, I was doing every, every little thing I could do, constantly stretching, looking after my diet, training hard, resting. Like I didn't have much of another part of my life. That was, that was just, I wanted to get back to racing in Europe. So that desire to race in Europe explains, I think, your next move. That was to the French pro-continental team Direct Energy in 2016. How did that opportunity come about? There is some Canadian history in that team. Um, Garneau used to be a sponsor uh, within the team too, and my old teammate David Vayu had raced there. And then at the current time, Antoine Duchesne was there at the time as well. So Antoine for sure helped big part of of me getting into direct energy at that time he he spoke really highly of me to the owner um, john renee and uh at that time the team was going from what was europe car to direct energy so i think yeah i owe definitely a lot to antoine in that way of you know kind of help talk them into taking a chance to bring me into the team as well and i think they some you know some of my results in the past um and some of the races i've done well in, in europe just kind of help put it all together and then it ended up going there on a on the which started to be a one-year deal and I ended up going for two years you did mention that you had a fellow Canadian Antoine Duchesne on that team with you but you were the the only Anglophone on that squad I think it was all French riders and uh, you and Antoine Duchesne how was that for you you know the English speaker making his way on that uh, very French squad yeah, that was a challenge. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it was. I just like growing up in the West. I just never, I was, I never learned. I never really was exposed to much French at all. Spruce Grove, I didn't like learn French at all, and so I did genuinely was trying, but it wasn't. I wasn't picking it up very fast. So I definitely really struggled with the French. It got a bit better, but then you like same thing. Like I was taking some classes and studying, and it was like then you come back and it'd be like all this different slang and it was just like I was lost I was not picking it up it was it was too fast for me and um so yeah that was a struggle but uh I just tried to make up for it and you know being polite and 
and respectful to everyone around me. And, and, uh, I tried to do the best job I could to make up for, for not really being able to speak French. <laughs> and I, I could pick up a lot more. Like I understood the racing, I understood what was going on for the most part. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when we were at certain races, who the leaders were and, and what we were trying to achieve. And there was people that spoke English in the team, but it was, it was just very, uh, it was primarily French, but if there was something really specific that I didn't think I understood, we could speak English. So then maybe it was more of a challenge at the, the team dinner table, but in the races themselves, you could get this job done with your, your teammates? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you kind of asked them that too, but <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job. And I mean, honestly, the ra- like the information on the radio is was it's pretty basic, right? For the most part. And, uh, you start to figure it out. And I was pretty, I, I would say I got a lot better at read, reading the race book and understanding the race book and where key moments were in the race. So it actually probably helped me in a bit of my career in terms of being able to study the road book and, you know, watching previous editions of the race. And, and that part has gotten so much better and easier too, to, to have so much information at your fingertips in order to do recon on uh, street views or whatever it is in races. So I think I was pretty well prepared for the races we were doing and then listening in the radio i was saying it's pretty basic information that you're getting so it's kind of key moments and then it's always consistently the same words so you start like that stuff i was able to pick up and and um, adapt and work well with during your two years at direct energy you raced most of the classics including perry roubaix and the tour flanders and one grand tour the vuelta espana those races, it's not very common for a Canadian who spent his career on continental and pro-continental teams. Was it luck or savviness that got you those opportunities? I guess, you know, for a racer like Hugo Uhl, who you mentioned earlier, he's on a world tour team. So you go to those races naturally. But if you're not on the Division One, getting to those races is not always um, a sure thing, especially for a North American rider. So is it luck? Or are you a wily race navigator genius? Oh, I think it's a mix of both. <laughs> I've had, you know, plenty of luck in my career. And, but then there's for Flanders, for instance, is lots of guys want to do Flanders in the team too. It's a beautiful race. Roubaix is crazy. I think everyone wants to do maybe Roubaix once, but I'm not so sure that everyone wants to do Roubaix every year. <laughs> but um, yeah, Flanders, for instance, and, and my spot in the Grand Tour at the Volta, that was not easy to come by. I had to do lots of training really hard and fought for my spots. So there was not as much luck in that. A bit of luck, you know, to be where in the situation I was even having the chance to fight to do a Grand Tour, but the Volta start was not handed to me. I'm curious about what you said about Perry roubaix Do riders think, oh, that's cool, it's the hell of the North, but then once they go through hell, they're they're less keen to return? That's my experience. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was no, I was slated in 2017. I was slated to do both Flanders and Roubaix again in three days at a pan. Though I crashed and hit a hit like a telephone pole, cracked my shoulder blade, so I didn't finish the rest of the classics that year. But um, Roubaix was not necessarily a race I was willing to. I wasn't like my arm wasn't shooting up for the second return to go back to Roubaix. It's just it's a brutal brutal race. But guys love it, and you know, and they love it, and it's it's a cool experience, and I would never change uh not doing it but it is crazy yeah crazy terrifying and i was like the night before they were you know calling potentially for some rain it was like i don't know if that's like that every year like maybe you know there's like 40 percent chance but in 40 percent in vancouver like for sure it rains a bit and uh <laughs> i was just terrified 
Yeah, I was like, no, there's no way that my first year bike there can be rain. We were on BH bikes that year, and and uh, they had a disc aero bike version, and we were riding on the caliper brakes all all year. But for Roubaix, we were going to use the disc brakes for bigger tires and whatnot. But for the mechanics too, like this was pretty new technology as well. And the mechanic, I remember the poor guy, he was up like all night trying to figure out my bike because I. I I don't have like massive hands, so I like the levers really pretty close to the bar and trying to figure out this new technology and uh, get it all sorted out for me. So I was pretty nervous. I used it in Price on the Wednesday before Roubaix for the first time. And it did rain in Price, So I'm at the back a bit scared of like Jesus trying to figure out these brakes. The, the levers are pulling pretty far into the, into the bar. And uh, so the whole thing was just nervous, terrified. New bike, Roubaix, scared. <laughs> no kidding. And I forget that you know, discs were still new at the time. And I remember the uproar that a lot of uh, riders were not happy with having disc brakes. And it makes sense when you when you tell your story, because you're used to a very specific behavior of your brakes in, in very specific situations where you need them to work precisely. And just, you know, you don't try new stuff on race day. Like that's the cliche, right? And yet uh, it sounds like you were doing that. Yeah, I mean, just riding on the road, it, like the bike rode really nice. It was nice. But there, it's like a field sprint every time they go into one of those sectors. It's just crazy. So on a new bike, and yeah, I guess I'm very I'm very particular about having the brakes engage on both sides at the you know at the same moment. If, if the front one is hitting the rim earlier than the back, it drives me nuts. So, and I was already pretty tense and nervous about this race. So it was, it was, uh, it was unique. That blew my mind too, how much work the staff has to do for a racer to crew bay all the bikes had different wheels and tires maybe the wheels were like the same but all these new tires i had never even seen before were on like every bike plus like so many spares the inner chain rings everything was like changed out like a ton and ton of work for one race it's 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 a, it's a crazy show you made it to europe it was it was your goal after you got your your taste of european racing through through spider tech uh did you ever miss anything in north america did you ever think uh you know, maybe North American racing's got this going on for it. I liked racing in North America and it was, it was a lot of fun, but I think it, for me, if I wanted to race, like I wanted to race and I wanted to try to race the best guys I could race. If I was winning or not was one thing, but I just wanted to be like in the race. I'd rather be getting beaten constantly by the best guys. That was why I wanted to be in Europe. I felt like the best guys were con- like they were racing in Europe in all these big races. And I wanted to experience what that was like and if I could do it. Why did you move back to your old team, Rally Cycling, in 2018? Probably a lot of reasons. They were going to go Division 2 to go to Europe. They had been going to Europe, but that was like the first push they were really going to do it. There was a lot of other things like culturally, direct energy was difficult for me. And I had experienced these races now. So I was like the rest of my social life within the team was way going to be way, way, way easier at Rally. So that was probably the main the main reason and i was quite curious to see where rally was going to go and and what was going to come of it because i'd ridden for charles this was my this was going to be my third time charles the owner of of rally cycling the team he was a great boss and a good guy to ride for so i wanted to um you know kind of go back and see what was going to happen there because i was there was a lot of races that i you know i wanted to do for flanders roubaix and a grand tour and so i had done those and i was pretty curious to see what it was going to be like at rally and in hindsight, it was kind of a pretty natural fit for me to go back there. What's one of your most memorable races from the past two years? You know, I always love like the Tour de Swiss. We did Swiss last year for the first, that was the team's first 
I would, I think it was the first world tour stage race the team has done in Europe. And, uh, it's just, I always think it's special. You go to Swiss and you're just on the bus with the guys after, and it's been a scarring day in the mountains and you're kind of just sitting there laughing. It's just like how ridiculously hard that stage was or what it was. And that, that, that part of, um, you know, the culture of the team and just sitting around on the bus afterwards with the guys laughing about, you know, how ridiculous and unless you're on the bike experiencing the day every like we have short memories of cyclists and i already forget how how hard bay was even though I, I remember it like it was yesterday but it was like the next one and then you already forget about the next hard day so anyways those those hard days stick out to me and, and swiss has plenty of hard days so that was a highlight and swain and i would were in the back of the bus every day just kind of that was our spot and joking and it was just yeah good memories tell me about how you broke your leg last year and the effect that that injury has had yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, it's definitely had a pretty big effect on me. I, you know, it was kind of a freak accident. I was looking back, you know, in my in a typical like road year, what is I typically spend like ride twenty thousand k or something like this. And uh, if I think about the how many kilometers I've ridden and how many big accidents I've had, it's not that many if you think about it that way. So this was a pretty big freak accident, but it was really a pretty pretty serious break. A lot of things went my way that day. I was mountain biking up from my house but there's a lot of spots where it's like a dead zone there's no service and i'm like laying there in the woods and i can see my leg and the bone and i'm just like is this, is this it what what is it like am i going to be on the north shore search and rescue because i can't get service or or whatever it was and it happened to be a pretty nice fall day it was like october 1st and there happened to be a lot of people still out riding so i was able to somebody came across me pretty fast and and everything worked out all right but it was i don't know just mentally it was something that kind of changed me and i still find myself really protecting the leg so i just think in racing that was never going to work out very well because you can't be going down a big descent in europe trying to race and really being worried about your leg i don't think it's going to (laughs) work in my opinion right and as a rider who has mixed it up in sprints like those are chaotic and you need to be i guess fearless and it sounds like i don't know we all age and we all tend to get a little more concerned about <laughs> our uh, our health and our, our <laughs> making sure we don't break bones. So is that is that like a, a switch that flipped for you then after that? Yeah, for sure. I think like if you take five of five of me in different age groups, I'd be the first one that hit the brakes now and that you just can't do that in in Europe and trying to help and, and or any like in it just in racing in general, you're not you're not gonna be able to effect, effectively help the team anymore if you know, if you're the first guy to kind of back out of the hole that may or may not have been there. And uh, so I think frustratingly for me, that was that was something I was noticing last year, even before I broke my leg. I wasn't willing to try to push through those holes that may or may not have been there anymore. That was kind of how I built my career. And it was, I'm happy with everything I was able to do. Are you comfortable now with this your new view of of racing and are you comfortable with the ryan anderson who is going to hit the brakes yeah no for sure i think i had a a really good run and i'm really happy with everything and all the moments that i was able to experience and uh it is a crazy sport like you see it everywhere too it's like more and more these traffic controlled zones are popping up in every village and but even here like in vancouver i'll be driving through a neighborhood now it's like we got these roundabouts that which we never had before all designed to slow down cars and but they're not good for bike racing <laughs> and uh <laughs> so yeah and, and i remember 
in Belgium, I crashed and it was in three days at a pen and the, and the ambulance guy is even talking to me about it. He's just like, yeah, you know, building all these traffic controlled zones now and yeah, it's not good for cycling. Yeah, it's definitely not good for, for cycling, but I'm really happy with, with what I was able to do and the risk that I took and, you know, risk with the reward. Some of the significant North American races that you did throughout your career are now gone. Uh, I'm thinking of the Tour of Alberta, Tour of California, the Philly Cycling Classic and its various incarnations, and the USA Pro Challenge. What does that say about the health of North American road racing? I've heard someone say the other day it's like a dumpster fire, but <laughs> you know, it's it's not great right now. That's for sure. I feel for for people because it's new. It's a new challenge to figure out what's going to happen. Those races had lots of great support. Like I have so many good memories of of California U.S. Pro Challenge, and it's not like you need. We don't need a ton of these big events in America. Just if we could get within Canada too. Like thankfully, Quebec Montreal is is a huge platform for uh, with Serge letting the national team go each year. It's a, it's a massive part of my career. And um, yeah, if, if they could just figure out how to get a couple of those big key races stable and come back, I think it makes a big change in terms of if you can make the, the jump from solely racing in North America to Europe, or if you have to try to go to Europe exclusively to try to make a, a road cycling career. I hope it gets a lot healthier. Like gravel cycling events seem to be doing really well but i don't know if you win um, a couple belgian wolf rides you get a road contract i don't know but it's definitely a pretty hard way to navigate right now is it harder do you think to make it as a road cyclist now than it was 13 years ago when you went pro i think it's just i think it's different i think i had unique challenges and i think that somebody that's trying to do it right now has a lot of unique challenges you know like when i was starting Livestrong, that development team had just started but now there's plenty of young development teams and lots of really, really good development teams. So that part, for instance, didn't really exist when I was trying to come up. But then there was way better racing in North America when I was coming up. And there was probably kind of tailing off, but more continental teams in North America than there is now. So there's, it was just just different, I would say. So what's next for you in retirement from pro cycling? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I got lots of ideas. So I think Swain told me I'm an ideas man, <laughs> but I need to execute some ideas. So I think uh, kind of see what happens in, in the next bit. Um, being at home this year has definitely shown me that I'm really passionate about bikes and cycling, everything new with cycling, mountain biking, cross, gravel, gear. I'm just really into into all that. So I think if I was to say what type of industry I want to stay into is cycling. But what that's going to look like, I really don't know yet. This whole thing, just since I said I was going to stop racing, it's been amazing how many people have reached out to me. And I feel very fortunate. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, how I, how I carried myself throughout my career. But um, lots of people have reached out to me and been willing to help me and, and give me advice and kind of show me like, well, no, you know, this is, you're going to need to go this way or do that. And um yeah, it's just been amazing. So I'm going to continue to lean on all these people that, you know, have either already done this themselves or have been in the industry for for years. You know, the resources of people that are willing to give me advice and guidance on kind of like life outside of cycling is um, it's very valuable to me. Well, Ryan, thank you for your time and good luck with whatever the next steps are in in your career. Thanks again. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
that's the episode. It's written and edited by me, Matthew Piero. I had help from web editors Terry McCall and Lily Hansen-Gillis. The podcast is produced by Adam Killick. He composed the music, too. Thanks to Ontario Creates for its support. And thank you for listening. Please rate and review the show, ride safely, and I'll talk to you later.